Talk us through those 80 minutes. No, we prepared to win. We knew that we were here to make history. The whole week, that's what we told ourselves. And you know what? I'm so proud of the boys. Absolutely humbled. And the guys came out. They played with enormous testicles. And we absolutely did it. Fantastic effort. I'm such a happy captain. Hello and welcome to another Drop Kickoff podcast. Um, it's summer. The sun's out. Um, most of you are at the beach, um, but I'm a bit different. I'd prefer to talk about rugby laws. Definitely not rules, they're laws. Uh, but today <laughs> we are joined uh, again um, by a fan favourite, uh, fan of the podcast, and to be frank, my favourite, Graham. Graham Cooper. Graham, thank you for joining. Thanks, mate. Good to be back. <laughs> and then I'm also joined... Uh, by local lunch boy Nathan Williamson and uh, Josh Murphy uh, about this bulldog out there, soon to be, I don't know, uh, somewhere else. Uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> that's great. Great, great, great <laughs> I'm getting there, I'm getting there. Um, uh, before we begin, so uh, you might know Graham from before, he's, uh, he's a referee, but uh, Graham, before we get stuck in, obviously we want to talk about what the RFU, RFU's done with their laws and other referee-related things. But just to, before we begin, what's your role, uh, I guess, in rugby in Australia? And and I guess, how'd you, how'd you get there? <laughs> um, I'll try and keep this as short as possible. Um, I've been involved in rugby for 12 years now. Um, I actually started as a a lonely development officer at Rugby WA, um, straight out of school, not knowing what I wanted to do um, and sort of made my way up sort of the ranks there um, for a little bit. I I always played as a junior um, and then picked up the whistle uh, in high school to help out the young ones. Um, and then once I finished school, um, obviously threw the whistle in the bin for a little bit to concentrate on my marvellous playing career, which didn't last too long. Um, uh, played Premier Grade and stuff in Perth. Um, so from that perspective, it wasn't that bad. Uh, um, but then um, uh, way more talented players overtook me pretty quickly after that. Um, and I decided to pick up the, the whistle. I always kept my, I guess, toe in it working for Rugby WA in their development department, obviously refereeing gala days and being called upon last minute to go and help out and things like that. So um, it wasn't a, a daunting transition from that perspective. Um, and then sort of sort of made my way up the ranks from community footy refereeing um, Perth Club Rugby into our national program, 16s, 18s, schoolboys, um, and then started running touch at Super Rugby for, for a number of years. And then after about four or five years of doing that, got my opportunity during COVID to um, referee in the middle of a Super Rugby match. And then it sort of all kicked off from there. So that's my my refereeing side of things. Um, professionally, I'm currently the head of community match officials at Rugby Australia as well. So looking after um, all the associations around the country with a couple of colleagues of mine um, around their governance, education, um, and development. That's about it, I think. Cool. That's a, a pretty good summary to me. Um, so would you say you're a refereeing expert? Um, I wouldn't say expert. I, th I think I um, spend a lot of time in the space. Um, I'd never call myself an expert. The game always changes and we find... Um, different ways to do things. So try to keep my um, finger on the pulse on that perspective. Oh, that's a nice bit of humility, something I lack, but uh, <laughs> love to see it. Um, so <laughs> let's get stuck in. Um, so recently, big news out of uh, Rugby Football Union, because the English are too good to put England in it. Um, <laughs> they've changed the tackle laws to, I believe it is uh, waist level, which they define as between the sternum and the navel, which I don't think that's where your waist is, but I, I don't know. <laughs> um, but I guess, okay, um, and I know Josh 
you're ready to go. You've got your makeup shotgun loaded um, to spray all over uh, the rugby law book. Um, That's so uh, sauce. That sounds. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, it's a bit of poetry Um, (laughs) on the fly. Um, But I guess I just, I know, I'll start this off with you. Graham, what's your initial kind of impression of these laws, this law change? Um, initially, when I saw it come out, I, I was a little bit shocked in the more in the way they did it. Um, to be honest, it seemed like it was just a an email to rugby stakeholders that this is what they were doing. Um, so I think it came as a surprise to, I think most rugby participants um, in England, and I think that's what they shot themselves in the foot per se. Um, it doesn't seem like there was a lot of consultation with um, the community rugby stakeholders on whether they wanted it or not. Um, is it a knee-jerk reaction um, regarding the um, legal stuff that's going on in the RFU around concussion and things like that, potentially? Um, I understand that there needs to be opportunities to to find ways that reduces head contact. Um is reducing the tackle height the way to go about it rather than um, doing extensive work around our coach and player development side of things around um, tackle technique, um, evasion and things like that. So that's my initial take on it. (laughs) Josh, how do you feel about this little change? I'm probably not as politically correct as Coops, uh, to be honest. I think it's a little bit of a shit show. Um, But... In saying that, you know, I actually really agree with Coops um, regarding looking at the coaching and technical side of rugby and developing that improved factor um, to the players and their contingent and allowing them to be part of the decision. I do feel it was a knee-jerk reaction. I do agree um, with other people that say that, whoever that may be. Um, but, you know, the fact is, is that there's so many now variations to interpreting this tackle technique for referees um, from my own personal perspective, you know, I couldn't even imagine what, you know, Coops is going going to have to go through upon his own interpretations of potential implements, um, you know, within our own rugby system. And then, you know, how is it that a referee is going to adjudicate that or are they going to then potentially put refs into clubs to give some further coaching and technique development, which should happen more often anyway, so that, you know, we can actually see the ref's point of view during the training drill so they're only the coaches, but the players can then act and work towards that. Uh, and I think from grassroots up, as that starts to v- develop and change, which seems to be more common with all these law changes, um, you know, that's going to be a- an awesome adaptation to the game of rugby itself. Um, but, yeah, I just think, my God, I played rugby for many years and I still play old boys with no knees left. Um, and, you know, your head gets in some dark places and that's part of the fun of rugby. Uh, you know, you know, the risk is yourself. And I think that's another part of it is that the players themselves are starting to lose their own assessment of their own risk capabilities and what they're willing to do. And it's sort of being taken out of their hands by, you know, federations, unions, whoever you want to, re- you know, refer to. So, you know, hopefully there'll be some more player involvement. Hopefully there'll be some more actual consultation between all groups and parties that it impacts. And then, yeah, from there, um, I do have some questions about how Coops might be looking at these <laughs> techniques because uh, I've got a few in my head that are a bit interesting. Uh, um, Nathan, I, if, if I go back to Coops, I just want to, I mean, you can riff off whatever Josh said there. We can get sucked into the weeds of how it actually will play out. But I mean, I guess, how do you feel? Yeah. I, I kind of I agree with both points. I think yeah, Coops is bang on and said, you know, the way they, they kind of just dropped this without it didn't seem like there was much coordination or cooperation with any of your stakeholders. It was quite bizarre. And you know, I'd love love to know your kind of insight on this, Coops. You know, essentially essentially this is Coops um community rugby that this is gonna come into. You know, you doing you know, you sort of touched on those potential lawsuits that are that are floating around, particularly RFU, just it's fascinating to know how much kind of research you're doing into this area when it comes to Australia and how do you kind of look to, I guess, minimise similar kind of similar instance where we where all of a sudden you have these outrage, outrage where, you know, 
and our RFU feels like they have to go in and say we we have to limit tackling from the stern down and make a decision which just has just seemed to kind of turn everyone against them. Yeah, mate, I think it's a it, it's an interesting one. Like reading the the RFU statement around what's what they're trying to actually um, achieve around it is um, most of the the discussions around head on head contact and. Um, for me, I think that's only the smallest part of the the concussion story, in in my opinion. Um, obviously, head on head happens when two players are upright and they run directly into each other. Um, obviously, they're reducing the tackle height is to try and get that defender um, to not be at the height of the uh, the ball carrier's head. Um, so that's one way, but. Reducing the the, uh, the the tackle height from that perspective is so without formal training from a player development perspective is putting potential defenders um, in harm's way from incorrect tackle technique in front of hip, knee um, and other harder, harder parts of the body. Um, and then the way that they've countered that argument is, well, the ball carrier is not allowed to lower their body height into contact to therefore put their head in the same spot as the defender's head. So it's sort of one, as as Joshy mentioned, is how are we going to referee that? Because naturally a ball carrier is going to brace themselves for contact and majority of the time what that brings is a lower centre of gravity because you if you, if you stand upright, you're going to get absolutely poleaxed whether the tackle height laws in or not, um, you want to brace yourself and therefore put yourself in a lower centre of gravity. Um, immediately doing that by the new laws, you're potentially going to be penalised for lowering your body height into contact. Um, so it's going to be a difficult one to referee. Um, I'm glad we don't have to do that just yet. Um, and I'll throw it to you guys, but I'll, I'll also... Um, touch on in a little bit later around what we're looking at doing in the 2023 season to try and build our own data and story around it. I'll jump in first then because I've got a stunning question about how you referee the perspective of the ball carrier. Right, so we all reduce the centre of gravity and that's fantastic, um, you know, and we should be because we don't want to get smashed being upright and regardless. Um how would you perceive, based on the documents that you've obviously read at the moment, to what can constitutes a significant drop in body height for an attacking player? Because you see it, I, I've seen it, um, Jordan Pattaya, prime example, one of the um, international games, puts his head on the wrong side, gets knocked out cold, right? We're trying to alleviate these things. And ironically, the player that bumped, unfortunately, it was a lifted knee in a brace position, and that's just how it sometimes happens. Um, but, you know, does that look to you from a referee that that's a lower plus a, a knee raise, or is it all going to be fundamentally looking at going, well, you know, Pattaya put his head and body and technique in the worst possible position, and that'll mitigate that sort of risk to the ball carrier? Yeah, I think the, the key thing that they're trying to achieve of the, uh, around the ball carrier is making sure they evade or attempt to evade the defender. Um, so trying to eliminate running front on directly at the defender to try and you, what you see in, in, in Super Rugby and, and rugby at the moment, that sort of bump mentality. So front on, bang, lower centre of gravity, knees, elbows in front, bang, and trying to knock the guy onto, uh, onto his bum where... What I think they're trying to achieve out of that is the ball carrier needs to try and evade to the space or the shoulder of the defender and therefore hopefully putting the defender to the side of that attacking player to then put, as the as coaches would normally say, cheek on cheek or or head behind or whatever um, the coaching cues are these days. Yeah, so we'll see a few more props doing goose steps by the sounds of it. Well, uh, yeah, big yeah. Taniella. Yeah, that's so it. <laughs> Comes into his own, but I mean, I guess to kind of bring in the point you just you were just making, Coops, or you made before. I mean, 
obviously this is going to be a bit, this is going to be a contentious issue coming heading forward. Um, you sort of touched on the work you're going to be doing later this year. Can you kind of give us that insight into what does that look like? How do you kind of implement that across the country, and what do you look to achieve out of that? Yeah, so just from a, I guess a community rugby space, we're we we're not going to be pulling the trigger on something like this um, tomorrow, if that makes sense. Uh, we won't be sending an email to our stakeholders. Um, but what we're wanting to achieve, we've um, we've commissioned um, some work with QUT during the the twenty three season, uh, in particular around the Britain Colts competition um, and the use of. Uh, one, the referee's perspective on the game. So the study's a little bit twofold from my perspective and in, in, in our development space moving forward is we actually need to generate um, footage or um, learning experiences in um, from the referee's perspective rather than from the grandstand 80 metres away um, with the cameraman who's eating the hot dog and and, and sipping on his beer um, at community rugby. Uh, but more importantly, then using that footage in our referee education. So referee's perspective, making referee decisions and allowing our referees potentially to use in the future uh, virtual reality. Um, so putting goggles on and actually going out and refereeing a game um, before they actually get there. So preparing our referees to be better referees. Um, and then from that footage, and this is where the study from a tackle height perspective comes in, is working with the um, the technology guys at QUT is around programming artificial intelligence to create and report on tackle height and, and whether or not tackle height at, we're going to be using Colts so that transition period of rugby players. So they've come out of the junior system, not yet your wrecking balls of premier grade rugby yet. Um, and to see whether their tackle height, tackle technique, and then coinciding with that, the concussion data that comes from blue cards and um, reporting from clubs and competitions on whether or not we actually have an issue around tackle height causing concussion in our community community game. So um I've got my thoughts around it. I won't um I won't necessarily share those. Um but hopefully from the data we can then make a our own educated decision around whether we want to bring in reduced heights, tackle height and community rugby. That's actually the fascinating that you're using VR to kind of help you figure that out. Um, and actually that kind of leads to a couple of questions here. What one, one is, you mentioned blue cards. So uh, sorry if I throw a ton of questions at you at the moment, but no. blue cards, what's kind of status on that? And what do you think of that kind of trial? If I'm, uh, if I'm mistaken, if I'm not mistaken, it's kind of like it's just a concussion card or, it's this concussion related maybe tackles so instead of a red card necessarily it's a blue card second is are you the uh, are we the only kind of association looking at union looking at the using vr to kind of get around this kind of concussion because i guess concussion is the number one referring issue at the moment and are you working with any other unions on trying to find a solution to this very very hard problem because as you mentioned before there is a legal aspect to it, which yeah. makes everything incredibly complicated. Yes. So just on the blue card, um, so that's a, a collaboration between club coach or club management, uh, club medic and referee um, around um, a player showing signs or symptoms of concussion. So through our education program um, at Rugby Australia, whether you're a coach or match official um, or a medic, uh, you go through blue card training. So understanding what those signs and, signs and symptoms are and then on field, how it's meant to be applied is a collaboration between medic, coach, match official 
and ultimately the duty of care um, from all three of those participants in the game is to put player first. Um, and that's hopefully the medic taking charge, um, going, no, nah, mate, you're no good, you're off, you're off the field. We issue the blue card from a an off-field formalities perspective. That's essentially all the blue card starts is it gets marked in um, the match day up and therefore they then have to go to a re- through a return to play um, program to allow them back onto a team sheet to then play the following week. Um, where it falls down is when potential medic coach and referee don't agree. Um, the final straw is the referee has final decision because obviously it's their duty of care whether that player takes part in the game or not. Um, that's where it can become uneasy with a with a potential team coach or a medic wanting to keep their best player on the field, so on and so forth. But I won't get into that type of scenario um, right now. In regards to the VR stuff, um, QUT has done a little bit of work with with touch football around their their match officials and 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 how that's used. But we're going to be the first ones um, utilizing. AI and the VR in one studies on tackle and, and studies within the game. And then um, we'll be a, a leading union. I, I haven't heard of any unions um, just yet utilizing VR from a referee development perspective. Um, so the part of this is how we're going to go about building a platform to be able to utilize that footage in our match official education. So capture the footage, what type of program do we need to use and and, and where it's all going to be stored for us. And then the rollout. So was that uh, an internal decision to use AI and VR? Um, or was that someone that come in to you guys as an external you know, approach and say, we think this will be good to utilise for during these studies? Um, the the Queensland or QIU um, have a, a working relationship with QUT around, um, I guess, support into their programs and, and utilising students and, and that kind of relationship. And I think they just formalised a five-year deal um, a couple of weeks ago or just before Christmas. And ultimately... That's what started the conversations, and um, I got put um, in contact with Kath O'Brien, who looks after one their sports science department, um, but then she's done a lot of work in the um, in utilizing footage, and therefore has tapped into the the technology students around how do they develop AI in helping sports develop data capture, um, coding, and all of that kind of stuff. So, um, so for example, for us at the moment, if I need to go and watch a game of, and, of rugby and need to pull footage for some education, I have to sift through that footage myself. Where in the future, if we program AI, that coding gets done for us. And therefore, the, the amount of time that we can save sifting through footage, we can just pull the code and we have the footage in front of us ready to go. That's a great like initiative and innovative way to do it. And I think the, you know, matching that with, you know, the 360 cameras, you know, for the, the referees as well. Um, you know, as I've done a bit of refereeing myself, nowhere near as good as you Coops, but I like to say I can run for 80. Um, but you know, it's a, it's a matter of having a look and, and going, you know, you referred back to Nick. I can hear you giggling. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, but um, you know, uh, again, I said I could run for eighty. Um, but what we want to do is, you know, like from a coaching perspective, it's actually really cool to see, um, you know, implementations where yes, the blue cards are really good warrant. Like it's good to be used when it's used correctly when all three parties are really uh, engaged from a coaching perspective. I think another good opportunity potentially, and you know, you might already be doing this at the community level with referees, is seeing how they engage with the coaches and medical staff during those processes. Um, yep. You know, because I've seen it firsthand where the medic is like, yes, but the coach and the rep are both 
50-50 or the ref is extremely get them off the field. And then, like you said, the coach and medical staff is 50-50 or absolutely not. They're my best player. I can't lose them. Um, so I'm actually really looking forward to seeing that. And um, please, if you can share anything that I can have a look at as well, I'm, I'm going to put my hand up. That's really interesting. Um, and I think great for community rugby, 100%. Absolutely. I was just say just the, the VR in terms of developing referees heading forward, is that something you look to kind of utilize just to, I guess, help fast track that process as well? You know, you, they say, you know, the best practice is getting out in the field and that real, just getting that game time. Is that something you look to kind of invest further into just to kind of keep improving the standard of refereeing across, across the country? So Australia remains, you know, range producing people like your Nick Berries, yourself, your Angus Gardeners of the world. Yeah, mate, I think the the biggest thing that we have an issue with around um, onboarding referees and making referees or new referees um, is getting them to feel comfortable in their first fixture. That's the biggest hurdle. Once once they're out there and they and they know what it feels like and 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 what it looks like from a refereeing perspective, um, we're, we're normally pretty good at keeping them. Um, where this is going to be amazing is being able to throw um, some footage or at a referee course or, or or whatever is either goggles on a referee or actually just show it on a big screen and be like, hey, guys, this is where you stand and this is what it looks like. And being able to rotate the 360-degree camera to be able to go, hey, if I'm standing here, what's the issue? Okay, big Taniella Tupo is going to run over the top of me. So where do I need to move to? I need to move to the other side of the breakdown or or whatever the case may be. Referring a line out for the first time or a scrum, what the hell does that look like with eight um, with 16 blokes whacking into each other or getting thrown into the air? Um, at the moment, we've only got that footage from the grandstand, which is a false representation of what we get as a match official. Yeah. And if we can narrow that down, and provide our referees that realistic um, approach, hopefully we get them feeling more comfortable earlier and therefore we can transition them into one-field referees quicker. The, do you think that's age-based, though, or do you think that's also level of professionalism throughout the rugby grading as well? No, 100%. So obviously the, the initial project's going to be around capturing footage at that Colts level. So... That transition age grade for us between juniors and senior football as a referee, that's a perfect um, that's perfect footage to be able to utilise for that demographic. What we want to try and achieve is actually bump this down or up moving forward. So I want to be able to capture under 12s rugby with 360-degree cameras and utilise VR so I can give it to that 14-year-old kid that is refereeing for the first time and allow them to referee a game without the pressure of 30 kids running around screaming at them, without two coaches yelling from the sideline, as well as spectators, pressure of club environment, all of those types of things. So, And then from a development perspective, is throwing our pathway referees into a super rugby match and be like, guys, this is how quick it is. This is what you need to look out for, and this is what it feels like. Love that. Um, and if we can do that more often, we're just going to develop our referees quicker. Can I make a special request? If you do program Tongan Thor into running at the referee, could you please film the referees while they're on the VR headset? <laughs> and while <laughs> and they freak out when they turn to the <laughs> running at them. <laughs> <laughs> Someone have the earth shaking as well as he gets closer. Four <laughs> D. <laughs> uh, Joshua, Nathan, do you have any more questions to ask Coops about this tackle law? I, th- I think it was just Sorry, a really, it was a real good insight into how you know it's this the work behind the scenes you don't often get don't often get you know to kind of or you don't understand or it doesn't get highlighted enough. It was just. Do you, it's one of those things. Trying to find this balance. Is this? Do you think this is going to be the future of the game? Just trying to find this constant, like continual balance between you know ensuring we're keeping the safety while just you know we're still trying to maintain the aspects of rugby, which still makes it yeah you know, so recognisable. Yeah, great question. 
Oh, mate, I think it's going to, I think that's exactly what we're trying to do is um, still have the combative um, battle that we currently do, but obviously keeping our players as safe as possible. Um, It's the beauty of our game. We're the only game that we don't wear armour and we run bloody hard at each other um, to try and stop scoring points. Um, And we do a pretty good job of it from a, a technique tackle and game management perspective in my in my mind um it's how we eliminate the the really bad scenarios um is something that we need to look at and again and it's and it's starting to happen it's it's around that collaboration piece around how will referees referee it how will competitions apply judicial policy and sanctions around it and then the buy-in from the coaches that they need to play a huge part in the player development perspective around tackle technique and ball carriers and things like that um we had a an interesting discussion late last year with the super rugby franchises and and the referees in the room around uh, red cards and head contact and things like that. And um, one of the questions was to one of the coaches is, do you coach upright tackle and choke tackles? And the coach was, yep, sure do. It's a it's a tactic of ours to slow the ball down. And that individual then goes, so you're part of the issue. And the coach was like, no, but that's rugby. And the follow-up was, okay, so when your player gets red-carded for the upright tackle because he smacks the bloke in the head and he gets six weeks on the sideline, misses out on six weeks of match payments, which probably has a headache himself um, for that period of time, you get to coach. There's no impact to you as an individual, but you've put that player in that position because ultimately... If he doesn't, he loses his job because that's what you as a coach have asked him to do. So the individual put it back on the coaches. It was like, well, instead of rubbing them out for six weeks, should we find the coach 10 grand every time there's a red card because they're not coaching it appropriately in clubland? So is um, it- that changed the context of the conversation pretty quickly. No, no, actually, yeah, it's fascinating when you talk about in that collaboration as well. When you consider a lot of when they kind of, and just to kind of move on from that RF, the RFU chat, a lot of the kind of chat when Super Rugby was kind of the partnership was created was, oh, well, we can, you know, we're going to look at now laws are going to spare up the games. We're going to make it, try and make rugby faster, rugby more exciting. You know, you've been in the middle for Super Rugby games. Where do you think the clubs, where do you think this kind of new, era of super rugby you know to call it that if it really is where do you think they try and they're going to try and head the game and what kind of variations do you think would would kind of do you think it's going to be on their forefront heading into this year and beyond um mate i think um it's going to be quite exciting from from a refereeing and a spectacle uh point of view um i'm not exactly sure if these have been disseminated. So I'll keep it as um, as low-key as possible, but around our TMO interactions and things like that, they're going to be a lot quicker. Um, with the use of our yellow card plus an off-field red card implementation into Super Rugby. So we're not getting rid of the red card, but if there's an incident on field that meets minimum yellow card threshold we get rid of them and then there's going to be a going to be a period of time that someone will review the footage and then elevate it to a yellow or a red or keep it at a at a yellow um one it'll build more suspense in the game um from a hey someone's been yellow carded is it going to be upgraded um so there's a bit of that but there's also still going to be the 20-minute red card. So if that does get extended to to a red card, they still get replaced after 20 minutes. So there's still going to be 
um, that in place, which takes the pressure off the on-field team um, to crack on and get the game going and hopefully get a better spectacle and speed up the game a little bit. Awesome. Um, there's, a, there's a number of others, shot clocks on screens around kicks at goal. Um, again, taking it away from the refereeing, the referee, um, and ultimately putting it back on the player. So they score a try, they've got 60 seconds to, to kick the conversion. Timer goes down to zero. Hooter goes off. Is he, if he hasn't kicked it um, by then, kick's no good. Back to halfway, crack on. And away we go. So, will that be for natural, you know, issues as well and challenges like the wind blows the ball off the tee, or will it just not yeah. matter regardless? <laughs> that's that's the conditions that they need to be aware of and 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 what they Love need that. to put in place. Pick it up and drop kick it. It's in the law book. Yeah, or be proactive and get a teammate to come and hold it on the tee for you so it doesn't fall off. Perfect. Love yeah. it. Um. Great. I was going to say the Ben Ben Donaldson against the Force. I think it was, I think it was Super Rugby AU two years ago at, at HBF where he just real, realized he was under pressure. Yeah, it was great great work by the ref to kind of keep that keep the time run. And all of a sudden we saw an incredible play where he just he starts to drop kick and convert conversion, and all of a sudden you've got that moment. So yeah. I, I absolutely love that. Yeah. Stops was- stops teams throwing the ball into the crowd after they score a try, and we wait sixty seconds to get the ball back. Those types of things as well. So, oh, so uh, it's from the point of try. Sixty seconds from the point of try. Yep, that's awesome. <laughs> uh, so my pet hate watching people do ten steps and line up and swing their arms in the air before they kick a ball. Just put it on the tee and kick it. Just... <laughs> yeah, love and, it. And again, it, it it takes it away from the referee to make that tough decision and and puts it back on the player, which um, is fantastic for us. Does that include so will that include as well with penalties, kicking for touch, um, and even and and then what's the criteria for a quick tap then? Because if the ball's gonna come back from play as an example and come back to the behind the point of, of penalty, like how do you ju- think that you would judge that for a quick tap perspective? Like if you've got Tate McDermott ready for a quick tap, we know it's gonna come um at some point. Like how would you look at that yourself? Um yeah, so just on that, penalty kicks a goal will be 60 seconds as well from the time they point and so go, yep, we're going to have a shot. So we'll point at the, the goalposts and that includes the time it takes for their kicking tee to get to them and then the time it takes for them to kick the ball. In regards to kicking for touch and scrum, it's kicking for touch is when the AR makes the mark on the sideline. Yep. 30 seconds will start. Wow. Um, and then scrum will be 30 seconds from when we make the mark on the ground. Um, funny enough, like we've been doing some stuff with the super rugby teams in the in pre-season trainings and things like that. They've been pretty good. Um, 30 seconds once we make the mark is a it's a fairly long time. Um, so th- there's no there's no excuse really. Um, and we'll be pulling the trigger pretty quickly on those. And, and obviously the trial matches coming up will be an interesting gauge on what that looks like. Um, from a tap kick perspective, um, we, in law, it, it, it's still for a penalty kick, it, it, it says 60 seconds. Um, we're obviously going to be trying to motivate teams to take that as quick as they can. Yeah. Um, free kick will be without delay. Yeah, sure. So... Yeah, just working with the teams on on how quick that goes. And will there be any other addition with with the time management? But like I think of scrums in particular and lineouts. You know, front rows having to sit down. Oh, I've got a cramp or my knee's hurting. Quick, give me some water. Um, you know, that happens a fair bit at, at games. Do do you have a? Is there a point of view from from the MOs to say, hey, this is what we're going to do if there's a delay in it? You know, what's the turnaround for getting them off the field? Are they injured? Are they not? Does that then impact from the mark? Because if you go up and make the mark as an example, and then you see that the you know tight heads down on the ground, is it what? What's your reaction as a referee? Yeah. So with with that, it's it's going to be a, a team of four, especially in Super Rugby, um, around our team on field being aware of that. So when we blow the whistle, is that front rower? on the ground injured already 
or have they jogged 60 metres and then sat down in front of the other um, five front rowers because he needs a, a breather? And if they run all that way and then sit down, we're going to be pretty um, pretty hard on them around getting up, setting the scrum, or if that then ticks us over the 30 seconds, just free kick them and get, get on with the game. Um, or putting pressure on the medical staff around getting them off the field if they're injured. Um, Thank you. And, and that's only for scrum, right? So we, we only have to stop the game for a front row injury for a scrum. They're not required technically to set a line out. A hooker doesn't have to throw in the ball at a line out. So if that hooker is, is down and we're wanting to speed up the play and they've jogged 40 metres and then sat down, we're just going to crack on and get them to throw it in with somebody else. Awesome. That's Love amazing. that. That's yeah, amazing. just a bit more of a focus. How that looks in community, obviously, level of game, capability of players, fitness of players, all of that will come into account um, in regards to how quickly we speed up the game at community level. Premier Rugby, um, Hospital Cup, Shoot Shield um, will be refereed similar to Super Rugby. That's, that's amazing. I guess that's, that's what you want to hear. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> I, I guess we're into other questions now. Um, <laughs> digging a bit deep there. Um, that must be music to your ears, Josh, uh, what we just heard. <laughs> um, but I, so I just wanted to take it back maybe five minutes um, because you were talking about yellow cards and red cards and speeding that up. Uh, I guess so. this kind of section, we just I, I really want this to just ask questions as you as a ref really um, mm -hmm. and all these kind of general questions. So the NRL has the bunker. If people don't know what the bunker is, it's kind of like they've got four video refs and the point of it is it's all very speedy. So as soon as something happens, they get it, they review the footage and they just go, yep, no, nah, this happened, this didn't happen, get on with the game. Uh, would you like something like that for Super Rugby, like ideally? Or do you have something in your mind that you'd, you'd, you'd want that would help you? And I guess as a fan, help with the game, you know, to, to avoid those lengthy TMO chats? Uh, yeah, so... I guess a bit of context around where we're heading as well, and I didn't mention this earlier, is um, the on-field team um, is going to try and generate all the referrals. Um, so we, we're going to try and limit the TMO interaction to the on-field team as much as possible, unless it's the clear and obvious person um, who's been absolutely KO'd by a, a dog shot in the game and we miss it as a team. We still want the TMO to intervene on that. Rugby collisions that happen that the on-field team miss, we're just going to have to live with and hopefully off-field judicial process, siding, et cetera, looks after it. Um, <laughs> quite happy about that, Josh. Oh, yes. Yes, I am. <laughs> and then from a bunker perspective, we've, we've been looking into how that plays out and, and whether or not we can incorporate something like that. Um, this off-field yellow card referral type of environment will require a pretty um, robust process in regards to who looks after upgrading those yellows to red cards, et cetera, et cetera. And it's potentially a, a bunker-like system to enable some consistency and clarity in that process. Um, it's it hasn't been sussed out completely. Um, there's been talks in the background on what that looks like, and ultimately we have to get approval from from World Rugby for that to to take place as well. So there's there's a couple of hoops that we have to jump through with all these different law variations and 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 aspects to the game. If, if successful, without having the, the TMO reviewing, you know, missed tackle situations, prime example. Um, and going back 15 phases and hurting you as a referee and restopping the game. Uh, if that is successful, do you think that's something that could be implemented across internationally? 
as a whole? Do you think that would be something that would really obviously benefit the game? Yeah, so all of all of this process around Timo interaction, um, off-field, um, yellow card to red card and, and all of that kind of stuff ha- has gone through World Rugby and ultimately they're, they're giving us the opportunity to trial it to then potentially implement all of it, some of it, what worked, what didn't work, um, potentially into the world game as well. So we're sort of a guinea pig at the moment in how that plays out. I absolutely love it. Um, well, I think I'm out of refereeing questions for the moment, which is quite nice. Um, it's a first, I think, for me because I'm one of the yellers at the TV. Uh, but, Nath, have you got anything there yourself? Yes, I love it. You came in with a shotgun and all of a sudden you've been disarmed. It's been great. It is. <laughs> Just something I love on that. I mean, it's one of those things. What, what I love about rugby is someone who you know, also grew up doing a bit of wrestling is once you know the laws, there's certain aspects and certain tweaks. You can really kind of, if you know the laws, you can get – on top of a game as a player. I guess, you know, you've been around club rugby, super rugby, across the levels. Is there one moment where you kind of, do you remember as a referee, you watch the player just kind of perfectly use the law book to advantage where you've kind of stepped back and gone, wow, that was actually, that was actually really smart. Or that was, that was incredible. That was quite, quite clever to watch. Uh, yeah, there's, there's actually been a couple recently. Um, so I think it, it was, I think, Rugby.com posted it the, a couple of weeks ago around the utilisation of touch law, 50-22 law, in favour of the team that kicks the 50-22. So 50-22 get kicked downfield, um, runs down the field. Um, the receiving team just give up once the ball goes into touch. The, the team who then kick the ball, whose line out it is, then take a quick line out and score a try straight away without um, the opposition being ready to obviously defend that. Um, the other one, and it's most probably what's setting this team apart from any other team in world rugby is the French and their ability to understand the game from a law perspective puts them in a, in a red hot spot around how they manage the game um in particular they they went from being one of the most penalized teams in world rugby to to now the least penalized team in world rugby so straight away giving the opposition less opportunities to score points and secondly the the rule that they gee that's poor from me apologies um the law that they interpret really well is actually the kick chase law so bit of kick tennis goes backwards and forwards. Um, Most teams, a player in an offside position, so in front of the kicker, stops. And they only wait until they get put on by their own player, so their kicker or a player from an onside position. Not many people realise that you can actually be put on by the receiving team. So receiving team catches the ball, runs five metres, passes or kicks, actually puts the the chasing team on side. Is it just, just five metres? Um, so, yeah, run five metres, pass the ball Possible. or kick the it's ball. It's initiating a phase, right, or an advantage. Yeah, but yeah, essentially. Um, yeah. So... The only, the only time you can't advance is if you're inside that 10 metres um, of where the ball lands. If you're inside of that, you have to retreat. But if you're outside of that and the player then runs five metres with the ball, well, you can actually put pressure on them once they've run that five metres. So they use that really well in regards to how much work their, their forwards actually do in the the kick tennis battle, if I were to use that, their forwards actually do no work. So it's a way that the French use it. So they kick the ball downfield, they get it, and they they do a bit of ping pong. And ultimately what they, they're giving their forwards is a is a 30 to 40-second break where they're not actually doing a lot. And then they pick a phase when that um, attacking team decides to run or pass the ball and that's when they put the pressure on the 
um, the receiving team. Wachota takes the receiving team a little bit by surprise, and then they tee off on them defensively with fresh forwards, essentially. So that's most probably one that is underutilised, in my opinion. I just want to say, Squid Rugby, if you're listening and you use that kind of insight, that's like Squid Rugby-level insight. Um, <laughs> we, just we, we want copyright. But no, yeah. that's fantastic. <laughs> it's something I've never noticed. And it's one of those things. When, when you look at it, particularly you look at an Australian team, you look at 2022, discipline was such a such an area where they just shot themselves in the foot in terms of that, that yellow card and red card. You bring in a new coach who one of the smartest minds in the game, in my opinion, Eddie. Do you think having someone like that can – do you think you can add those little technical nooses to a game, you know, this in, in space for a couple of months? Like how do you kind of – how do you think having a mind like that can change how they approach a game? Yeah, I think I think with what the French have tried to achieve, a lot of the, the national teams around the world are, are implementing similar strategies. Um I know, I know for a fact that the RFU referees work very closely with the England camp once once they're in camp. So um, if that's anything to go by, I'm, I'm assuming Eddie will, will will pick up the phone and and call Mitch Chapman, our, our referee manager, and, and get us down to trainings as much as possible. It's only going to benefit the team, right? And ultimately it, it benefits us as referees because we get put in that... Um, that world rugby environment more often as well. Hey, hey, Graham, actually on that, do you remember when, and you probably do, and Nathan, you definitely do, uh, hmm. when Italy stopped contesting rucks against England and Dylan Hartley said to the referee, what do we do? Like, and the ref had to say, I'm, I'm not your coach, I can't tell you. Uh, what was your take on that? How do you think about that? How did refs take that? Did you feel empowered? Like, um, you know... I I thought that was a stroke of genius by the Italians, to be honest. Um, it only took the English 40 minutes on how they could then manipulate that tactic and then they pumped them by 50 points, I think, in the second half. But um, it stopped the the onslaught for 40 minutes. Um, I guess it's just the, the ability, um, if you understand the law, it's how you then can, you, you can use that to your advantage against teams that might be stronger in other areas of the game and you manipulate the law to um, the best way you can to eliminate that strength. Um, it's it's a game of chess, really. Um, and we can't referee the Wallabies. So I, I, I don't know why we, well, we will be utilised in that space more often moving forward. Um, the French have a full-time ex-referee in their coaching ranks and the only thing he does is um, provide them with insights around referee, referee management um, and how that imp- impacts the game. That's that's so fascinating. I actually, I actually have a follow-on question for that. Um, you know, the All Blacks are the best team in the world but they don't have the same referee kind of... Uh, they don't have all black referees, you know, Wayne Barnes, Nigel Wellens, not from New Zealand. But Australia has Nick Berry and Angus Gardner. Why? Like, why Why are refs so good? Why do we punch above our weight? Um, I'll, or, I'll pump the, I'll, I, I don't do this often, but the, the Kiwis go all right. They've got a couple of good refs going um, <laughs> around. Um, Political. Of mine, so I'll pump their tires up a little bit. You're a good um, diplomat. <laughs> but, but mate, we, um, from a Rugby Australia perspective, over a number of years, um, I think after the 20, uh, when was it, 2015 World Cup maybe, we only had one referee represent us. Um, so since then, there's been a, a huge investment into full-time match officials at Rugby Australia level. There also was a focus on ex-player recruitment. Obviously, Nick Berry, Damon Murphy comes out of that mould. Um, and then a whole lot of work and investment into the likes of a Jordan, likes of Jordan Way, myself, um, Amy Parrott. If, if we want to look at the female space, we are by far the leaders um, 
from an international refereeing perspective, both 15s and 7s. Um, it's just, it, it takes Rugby Australia to realise that they can actually influence the game positively in the officiating space and it just took a bit of investment from them, which is what we're, what we're seeing now. Okay, very, very United Nations of you. Um, <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, but at the end of the day, they're really good because they put the the time and effort mm. into understanding the game and under, understanding how they operate and how teams operate and how they can best get the um, ultimately the best spectacle. Yeah, yeah. Both well, teams and the well, one, and one way or the other, Australia be represented in the final. So uh, I guess that's. Well, we've, we got a, we've got a good crack at it. <laughs> um, just before we go, we've just got one question, and I've got to ask, it's come from Twitter, um, from uh, Rabula. Uh, I think I've said that correctly. Um, so they've said, um, laws aren't news, but more about enforcing and being strict on what's been in place already. So my question would be, how strict will Southern Hemisphere, a.k.a. Super Rugby referees, um, you can tear apart where the Southern Hemisphere includes rugby. Uh, referees will be in this year's Rugby World Cup. Ooh. Which I guess I kind of, a way to think about that, will you still, well, will Southern Hemisphere or Southern uh, Super Rugby referees referee differently during the World Cup? Because that always comes out clear because I guess we see Northern Hemisphere referees. Uh, and it is a different kind of game. But do, 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 is, I guess I know, is there an alignment there? Will it be different? Mate, the, the, group, the group that's going to the World Cups must probably been the most aligned that it's ever been. Um, the amount of work um, that they've been through over the last 12, 18 months to create that alignment is, is a credit to Joel and, and the World Rugby Group. Um, the meetings... The face-to-face meetings, the investment of flying. But is Joel the World Rugby Referring Manager? Yes. Yeah. Um, so in that regard, I think um, this World Cup in France is is going to be the most aligned from Northern Hemisphere, Southern Hemisphere perspective. Um, we haven't had any major law changes in the lead-up. Um Previous World Cups, we've had lifting tackle law changes implemented the year of. We've had head contact process that was still fairly new in in the previous World Cup that everyone was still getting their head around. Um, We haven't had major law changes that will put the referee in the spotlight per se um, to dictate games of rugby, um, which I think is a positive. What, what will roll out after the World Cup, I have no idea. But um, I think this World Cup should be an absolute cracker. I think, yeah, hopefully the players dictate the outcomes and we don't, as usual. But um, ultimately, we just um, facilitate the actions of players, if I were to put it that way. Well, that should be the new slogan for MOs. <laughs> Look at that. <laughs> what, what yeah, put that in your shirt. Put that in yes, your shirt. We're trademarking it for sure. How do we we're doing it our best. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Um, I guess I guess that's it for the pod. I mean, um, especially before time runs out. You know, um, Graham's getting hungry over there in Perth. Um, uh, boys, before we go, do you have any kind of final remarks? I mean, obviously, thank you so much for joining us, Graham. Um, yeah, no, I thought, I, I, thanks. We'll just echo Nick's thoughts again to get that insight into what's been done in the future, your, you know, an Australian perspective on it with, I guess, all the talk dominated by what's over in England. It, I think it's a really fascinating chat and, you know, gives hopefully anyone that's listening to this has a better understanding of where we sit in Australia and what the kind of future lies. And, and, and also the struggles for referees because referees aren't robots. <laughs> they're people too there's no it's, slogan right there yeah yeah that's good you put that in your shirt um or tattoo in your hand okay cool um well thank you so much graham thank you so much for joining really appreciate your time 
Um, Josh and Nathan, yeah, I don't really care about you too, but Graham, thank you so much. No dramas, fellas. Good to chat. Yeah, you've reaffirmed uh, your position as my favourite Graham. So um, <laughs> that's good. <laughs> cool. All right. But what did go wrong? I have to look look and think about it. Think about it deeply, very deeply. Did it hinge in the end on a bit of genius from Sirly Bombo? Bit of genius, bit of magic. Sirly Bombo. Very interesting. Very good, yeah. Very good. Three cheers for Sirly Bombo. Very good, very good. <laughs>